Today's reading is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 9 to 31. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Seeing there is only one God who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith, do we then nullify the law by his faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Debbie. Could I um, recommend that you have a Bible out and turn to chapter 3? And if you are new, um, welcome. 
Uh, we are a church that goes through systematically books of the Bible together, and we're come, we're, we're, we've come to Romans chapter 3, an important passage, also packed passage, so I'm sure it'll help you if to have it out in front of you, but let me pray that God will speak to us through this message. Lord, we know that my words will mean nothing unless you speak, uh, that your living word goes out and accomplishes its mission. And so, Lord, we pray by the power of your spirit, your word will speak, that you will apply these words to our hearts, that it might change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Which law applies to you? Which law you live under can change your life? When I became a U.S. citizen a long time ago, it meant that I no longer had to be afraid of serving two years in the Korean military. I no longer lived under that law. In the U.S., where you, where you live, which state you live, uh, Oregon with the high state taxes or Texas with no taxes, mean, it's a difference of thousands of dollars. It means bad. Um, whether your 17, uh, 17-year-old is tried as a juvenile, as a child, or as an adult can mean the difference of life sentence or the death penalty in the U.S. Which law applies can change your life, and it can mean the difference of eternity. The Bible's main question to us is not, are you good? Are you a good follower of rules? It's not, do you go to church regularly? Do you do good things? The Bible's main question is, which law are you under? When you come to Hong Kong, it's the question that you're asked. When you go through the immigration, they don't, they're not interested in how much money you make, what color of hair um, you have, how tall you are, what your accomplishments are. The question that they ask you is, give me your passport. Under which law do you live? Are you a citizen or are you a foreigner? Which country do you belong to? And today, Paul contrasts these Two, two laws, law of works, law of faith, and the difference is eternity. Verse 27 makes that contrast clear. In ESV, it's clearer, um, but in NIV, it puts it like this, law that requires works and law that requires faith. Simply, it just is law of works or law of faith. And so far, Paul has been talking about the law of works. So far, he's been telling us how God has revealed himself through the world, and we should know to worship God. So far, he's been telling us that, that we should worship God, but, but we don't. We, 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 we make idols and worship that instead. So far, he's been telling us that God has revealed his law through his, our conscience or through the Mosaic law. God has told his people what his laws are, but so far, he's been telling us that we do not do what we're supposed to do, that we do not have power to do what we're supposed to do. In the end, although Jews had the advantage of having the Mosaic law revealed to them, in the end, verse 9, they weren't any better off because everyone, verse 9, is under the power of sin. And let me make that clear. It's not that we sin. It's that we live under the power of sin. 
And the law of works reveals that we live under the power of sin because no matter what we try to do, no matter how we try to obey the law, actually we're unable. We fall far short of even the standards that we have for ourselves. We're under the power of sin. And in this section that Debbie read for us, it it, it tells us uh, that that, um, all have sinned. Take a look, verses 12 and, and, and 23. Twice we're told that we've all gone our own ways. Twice we're told that there is no one righteous, verses 11 and 20. And twice we're told that there is no exception, verses 11 and 12. And here is then the doctrine of total depravity. Doctrine of total depravity doesn't say that we're as evil as we can be, but it does say that every part of our world, every part of who we are, have been infected by the, by the disease of sin. You know, when Barney and Corey uh, take a bath, we often put like food coloring. This is red food coloring, and we sometimes put it in the bath. Just we, it doesn't take more than a few drops. This is just one drop. And what happens with this one drop is, in time, it'll spread. It goes through all of the tub of water. It makes the entire bath a tinge red. Just like that, sin infects all of us. Every part of our being is infected by sin. J.I. Packer writes this, No one is as bad as, as he or she might be, while no one... Uh, while, on the other hand, no action of ours is as good as it should be. No one is as bad as they could be because we're made in the image of God, but no action is perfectly good because it's always infected by sin. Sense of selfishness, a different goal, self-interest, or uh, wanting to seem better than others, or whatever it is. And then you might ask, well, if God knew that we're under the power of sin, why did God reveal His law to us? Not through Moses and through our conscience. And Paul answers that question in verse 19. So that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. God didn't give us the law so that we could justify ourselves with the law. God didn't give us the law so we can say we kept the law and I am right with you because of my rule obeying. No, God gave us a law to stop our mouths, to hold us accountable, to make us realize that we are sinful people who cannot escape our sins. God has given us the law, verse 20, to give us the knowledge of sin so that it would make us cry out to God and say, God, Lord, help. Friends, deep inside, we know, all of us, whether you're Christian or not, people out there and people inside here, all of us know that there is a God, that we worship, we should worship Him, but we don't. All of us know right and wrong. Whatever the standards are, we know what's right and wrong because we judge other people with those standards, but we do not do the things we know that we ought to do. Deep inside, you and I know that our hearts are rotten. My heart is, and I'm sure yours is as well. And deep, uh, but we do not cry out. 
People don't cry out to God for help. What do they do? Well, often these are the coping mechanisms that people use. People turn a blind eye to their own sin. People uh, tell themselves that I've done my best and that's enough. Sometimes we cut others down so that we might feel better about ourselves. But the verdict is clear. Verse 20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Friends, denial, the denial, the turning blind eye, cutting uh, down others, all these things, all these coping mechanisms, awful, but they're not fatal. It's not fatal to be a sinner because that's what we all are. What's fatal is the denial that we are sinners. What's fatal is denial that our works do not justify, denial that we need God's rescue. If we do not, if we deny that, we won't come to Jesus and we will not receive His rescue. And if this is you, if you have not ever cried out for help to God ever, could I ask you just simply say the prayer of the thief on the cross, Lord, remember me. Lord, have mercy on me. It could be as simple as that because as we repent, as we recognize our sins, and repent, and we turn to Christ, what happens is we're transferred from the realm of the law of works to the law of faith. And Paul explains this in verses 21 to 26, which one commentator called the most important, possibly, what do we say, possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. Verses 21 to 26, Leon Morris, the commentator, said that possibly the most important single paragraph ever written because Paul here turns to an explanation, Paul's explanation of how we're saved. So far, we've been told that we're condemned. So far, we do not do the things that we ought to do, but here he goes on to tell us how we're justified, how we can stand in front of God and say that I am right with you or that God is right with me. He explains the law of faith. And he says that this righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law of works, verse 20, 21, which means apart from our own works, from what we do. On the day of the judgment, it won't matter how good you have been apart from faith in Jesus. Why? Because we're all under the power of sin. Remember, in verse 23, we've all fallen short of God's glory. You see, this righteousness, our justification, is not something that we can accomplish. It's been accomplished for us, verse 24, which is why he calls it grace. God had taken the initiative to do something that we could not do for ourselves, which is why in verse 25, we receive it, we receive it as a gift by faith, through faith. You see, the way that we are made right with God has nothing to do with me. It has everything to, everything to do with God and His works and what He has done to save us. And having saved us, He gives it to us freely, indiscriminately, without distinction to all those who would turn to Him. Whatever you are, whatever you've done, however cranky or not cranky, nice or whatever you are, God gives it to you freely as a gift 
to you, to those who would turn to him and receive him. At this point, you might ask, once again, well, I thought that Paul has been, Paul has been saying that he is the judge. The judge, judge's job is to make the distinctions between good and bad people, to judge sinners and reward the righteous. How is it that God can be fair and justify sinners? That thief on the cross stole something so bad that he got caught, he received the worst punishment possible, which was crucifixion. People didn't even mention it in polite society. He did something really bad. In John 8, Jesus pronounces forgiveness to this adulterous woman, woman caught in adultery. We love that part where that says, sin no more. But, you know, she sinned. How about her husband? How about her, the family that had to pay for her sins, for her selfishness? How is it just to say she is just forgiven? Then there are countless people who receive Jesus on their deathbeds or in prison, in the people who cannot never pay, who can never pay for the things that they have done, not in this lifetime. And if we exam examine our hearts, I hope you are also saying, how can I stand before the righteous God with all my secret sins and all the things that I think and do? How can God just say, you're forgiven? Of course, this gift can only be freely given because the price is paid for by the costly sacrifice of Jesus, which is why he goes on to say in verse 25 that God sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice, sacrifice of atonement. God sent his son to die for our sins. The word here is really propitiation, that God's wrath was satisfied God's righteous anger against all the sins of the world and against our sins was satisfied in Jesus Christ. In the movie, The Last Emperor, a young child is anointed, who is anointed as the last emperor. He lives this magnificent life. People who are old, young, everybody bows down to him. He is the emperor. Thousands of eunuchs are at his uh, command. So his brother comes over and he asks, well, what happens when you do something wrong? He says, when I do something wrong, someone else is punished. And to demonstrate this point, he takes a jar and he breaks it. And what happens? His servant is beaten for it. Justice is satisfied for, for us. In reality, what happens is exact, uh, the exact opposite. The king is beaten. He is stripped naked. He is insulted. He is crucified on the cross so that he can say, the king could say about us, the servants, no, his, pay, his price is paid. Justice is satisfied. Church, this is the heart of the Christian faith, that God is both, verse 26, just and justifier of the ones who have faith. The cross demonstrates God's perfect justice, that God does not gloss over little sins. God does not gloss over any evil in the world. God knows 
whatever evil you've suffered, God knows. God is paying attention and He cares. And on the cross, He proves Himself to be just. The price is paid, but He can also justify us sinners. He can say that we are made right with Him because it's He who paid the price. God's perfect mercy and justice are both satisfied. And I know that you've heard this story. This is the basics and the heart of the gospel. But this is not a story that we grow out of. This is a story that we grow into because if you grow into this, I mean, all our problems, all our insecurities, all the, the, the wrong attitudes, um, the, 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 the things that rob us of joy, they stem from not applying the gospel to our hearts, getting this wrong and not knowing what this means in our current situation. We grow into the grace of Jesus. Let it apply in your hearts. Well, if we know this grace, we're transferred from this realm of law of works to the law of grace, where grace is, is the dominant theme. But as we've talked about, being transferred into God's kingdom doesn't actually mean that you will, um, uh, th- that the distinguishing mark of a Christian will be good works. Of course, Christians should do good works, and your faith should cr- produce good works, but as we've seen in the past few weeks, moralizers, there are lots of people who do good things on their own because they want to feel better than other people, because they want to just be better than other people. There are religious people in Christianity, in other places as well, who do many great things. You know, as Rhoda told us last week, what we are to look at is not outward works, but inward disposition, whether our hearts are circumcised or not. Our hearts are changed by the gospel or not. But the problem is what happens um, in our hearts can't be seen. What assurance can we have at all? Is there any way to gauge what's happened on the inside? And I think today's passage gives us two, two better gauges to see whether our hearts have been touched by the gospel. Take a look at verse 27. In the person whom the law of faith is at work is radical humility. Then what becomes a boasting? It's excluded. There is no boasting. And when Paul says boasting, I don't think he means going around with medals on your chest and, you know, or blowing your own trumpet every time that you do um, good things. I think it's more subtle than that. I think Paul is thinking about things that we rely on psychologically, emotionally, to give us self-worth, to give us to say to, to ourselves, I am somebody because of this. For me, this, what I rely on is revealed when somebody insults me or uh, slights me or something. Uh, you know, how about you? What do you do? What do you do when you get passed over for a promotion that you think that you deserve? You don't get what you deserve. What happens to you? What do you tell yourself? What do you tell yourself to make yourself feel better? For a religious person, they say, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person, probably better than you, right? 
for, um, but this sort of um, self-building or boasting doesn't have to have a religious tone. It could be because people's religions are many. People who worship money will say, well, I'm rich. I'm richer than you. person who worships intellect, well, I'm smart. That's who I am. I'm better than you in that way. People who are, uh, uh, worship beauty, I'm, I'm, I'm better looking. People who worship their gifts, well, I have these accomplishments. That these are the things that I've done. It could be anything. It could be your skin color. It could be the family you come from. It could be your background or whatever your accomplish, accomplishments are. You might not outwardly boast about it, but you rely on it to tell yourself, this is who I am. That makes me special. It justifies my existence. But you see, a truly saved person, a person who is truly justified by faith in Jesus, do not do this. Why? Because partly, a righteous person knows that relying on these things produces further evil. It produces further division. It produces jealousy and denial and insecurities and self-righteousness. They also recognize that it's never enough. Right? Idols ne- are never good enough. They make you never feel good enough. But chiefly, they know these aren't the big things because they know that this is, these are not the things that God cares about. And when it comes to their relationship with God, as Archbishop William Temple has said, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation is our sin. We bring our sin, and God gives us our salvation. They know that they're sinners by grace of Jesus Christ. So they rely on God's grace. Because on the cross, only on the cross, God, we can say, it's okay that I am not good enough. It's okay I'm not smart enough. It's okay I'm not accomplishment, uh, accomplished enough. It's okay that I'm a lousy person, that there is this sin in me. My existence is still justified because my God died for me. I am loved by, God, by Him. That's what justifies my existence. That's what justifies my relationship with God because Jesus died for me. And that's why there is this humility in a person who knows Jesus. They know that they're sinners. And if somebody points out their fault, they don't get defensive. Why? It might actually make them love God deeper. How? Well, you might say, you, you are like this. And I go, yes, I am like that. But my God loves me despite that sin that I have in me. Praise God. You see, praise is what saved people do, not boasting. Praise of this great God who has saved me is the characteristic of somebody who is saved. And if we truly get this, as Paul said, we will not boast on anything apart from the cross of Christ. If we truly know this, we will say, like Paul, that everything else is rubbish in comparison to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus as my Lord. Radical humility. The second sign, I think, is this kinship with everyone. 
every sinner there is, the radical kinship, no matter how great they are, uh, uh, no matter how bad their sins have been. So Paul moves from verse 28, justification by works, um, by faith, to uh, 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? God loves and justifies everyone through faith in Jesus, whether they're Jew or Gentile, whether they have been good or bad, uh, whether uh, they are accomplished or not, American, Chinese, or whatever. And when we see ourselves as saved sinners, we'll see also others through the, uh, the, the grace of, 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 of Christ too. Uh, I don't know how you would feel if somebody who came to church, maybe somebody comes to church through the, door, uh, through the doors, and this person obviously is somebody who is um, struggling with maybe their sexual identity. They're not they're confused. There's trans, uh, maybe somebody who's uh, uh, um, struggling with tr- trans- transgenderism or homosexuality. Or maybe somebody comes in, and it's very obvious that person is just arrogant or just uncouth, uneducated, and just really rude. A person under the law of works, their instinct will be to judge. How terrible. Look down on them and feel superior to them. But a person under the law of faith, they'll have a sense of kinship. They'll see a fellow sinner in need of God's grace maybe a fellow sinner who has found God's grace. But they'll see a fellow sinner walking with God or seeking God. Verse 25 says, God presented Christ as an atoning, atonement, sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of the blood to be received by faith. One church historian says, Christianity is the only major religion to have its central event be the humiliation of God. The central event of Christianity is humiliation of God. He did that for us because he is just, because he is merciful. Let's follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that it's the place where the ground is leveled, where sinners in need of your grace. And we thank you for the grace that have been poured out upon us on the cross, that we know that we're not just sinners, but we're forgiven sinners, beloved sons and daughters, people with new identity and new future in you. Lord, help us to recognize the depth of our sins, but even more, help us to realize the depth of your amazing grace. And may that sense of sin and grace shape us. Help us to be like you, a humble king who gave up his life for us. Help us to follow in his footsteps. Apply the gospel, Lord, to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.